I don't want to record a podcast. Would you like some cheese to go with that wine? It's Schmanners. Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you? How I'm, are you? How are you? I'm How are a, you? I'm doing, I'm doing okay. <gasps> I'm a little tired. BB was, uh, you know, she's learning to walk. So they say that. Well, not when, just learning to walk. She is she walking. She is walking. She is walking. She she's, has taken her first steps. She's walking intermittently and crawling. Well, as aren't well. we all walking intermittently? <laughs> Who among us? And walks they say that always? when babies like it clicks, like they're learning something new and they finally get it, like that their sleep suffers. So we witnessed that last night. Well, and plus it's the holidays, mm. so there's so much to do. So much to the do. The hustle and the bustle. The hustle and the bustle. We on that Christmas creep, as Griffin would say. <laughs> um, and so since since it's the holidays, we thought, oh, you know, let's do a holiday themed episode. <laughs> Wine tastings. <laughs> I would say that drinking is a holiday theme for a lot of people. That's fair. That's fair. Which, we want to remind you, uh, drink responsibly this holiday season. Don't drink and drive. Don't feel pressure to drink if you don't want to. There are many other things you can enjoy. This whole episode, we are going to be talking about drinking. And Teresa and I both uh, imbibe alcohol. But that's not to say... Responsibly. Responsibly. That's not to say that there is anything about manners or schmanners that requires you to drink alcohol if you do not wish to. Um, in fact, I think moderation and restraint are perhaps the most schmannerly attributes one can strive for. Just want to get that out of the way because we will be talking about wine we like. <laughs> <laughs> Duly noted. Oh, man. We should have had Wink as a sponsor this week. Retroactively, I'll add them in. Hi, Wink. Um, so wine. Wine. Um, there's red and there's white and there's blush when the wine is embarrassed. <laughs> and then there's mulled wine. Okay. And there's cheap wine and there's box wine and there's a big jug of wine and Chablis. The- and that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, I so- only know Chablis. Well, I know a lot of your from. I'm listen. I kid. I kid. I'm very cultured. But Chablis was one of the, my favorite. It's one of my favorite names for wine because my friend Trevor and I used to just call it Chablis, and like we knew it was Chablis, but we just thought it was funny to say Chablis. Um, and so we would get just a big jug of Chablis and mm. just sit around watching movies and drinking some Chablis. Nice. <laughs> oh, good times, college. So there was a long time throughout history where water was not safe to drink. Um, either it, there was no way of filtering natural water and it contained um, bacteria and feces in the natural world, things like that. And also um, there was no way for, to filter runoff water. So it all kind of mixed together in in your wells 
Um, so the only place you could really get clean water was if you got it straight from the source of a natural spring. And we should also say this is not a medical nor science podcast. We should Correct. also during this time, uh, or at least a big period of that time, they didn't know why the water wasn't okay to drink. It's not like they were like it's contaminated. They just I don't know thought spirits were in there or something. It's usually Who knows? that, um, or the I'm, water was evil or black bile or something. I suppose you could also get fresh water if you melted snow or if you were at like the very top of the mountain spring or stream or whatever just a fun fact well not wait what am i saying this isn't fun at all but an important survival fact if you're thirsty and you're somewhere where there's snow don't eat snow melt snow boil snow first over fire because if you eat the snow it'll lower your core temperature and cause hypothermia like i said not a fun fact good fact (laughs) just a good fact just an important fact that has nothing to do with wine so um, instead of drinking water or milk, really, even, um, people drank wine and beer. If you ever hear somebody talk about short beer, it's not a tiny beer. I think we talked about, I think we did a beer episode. I think we talked about, but if you ever hear someone say short beer, it just means like weak beer, not like a small, it's not like a kitty sized <laughs> beer. Uh, but um, it may surprise you to learn that wine did not taste very good for a very long time. I mean, I I get that because I, I'm also willing to bet that if you enjoy your craft brews of beer, beer probably didn't taste very good either. But probably, I'm betting it was closer to vinegar. Yes, it was very vinegary. Um, vinegar is wine. Do you all know that? Do you know that? I didn't know that until Alan Brown told me. Not personally, mind you, on Good Eats. Right. Um, and so this was, it was, it, it tasted bad. Okay, which is why... Uh, a lot of historic wine recipes call for adding things like spices and sugar and um, lots of other things like that. I mean, basically anything they could do to disguise the taste in order to make it drinkable, people would do. And they even would go so far as to make it taste sometimes worse because at certain points in history and certain cultures, wine was considered medicinal. And everybody knows that things that taste bad are good for you. Mm. Fun uh, Travis McRoy fact. And once again, I can't stress enough that we here at Schmanners HQ do not advocate underage drinking. But I was 20. I was turning 20 for my 20th birthday. And my friend and co-host of Trends Like These, Brent, was in a show in which he had shaved out. Like, he had shaved his head, but not completely bald. He had shaved out, like, you know, the horseshoe of hair, and he just looked very old. And so he went to a liquor store and bought a bunch of booze, and he asked me what I wanted for my 20th birthday. And I thought, I'm feeling very adult. Get me some red wine. That was as far as I knew. I just wanted red wine. So he brought me a bottle. I have no idea to this day what it was. It could have been any kind of red wine. But, of course, we didn't have a wine opener, so I made one out of a wire coat hanger that I wrapped around a pencil and made into a corkscrew and then dug so in. So you knew what one looked like. I knew. I knew. I understood the concept of a corkscrew. Yes, I had owned pocket knives. And what I ended up doing was mostly just crumbling the cork into the bottle. Look. Um, so when I had my first glass of red wine, not only was there a lot of cork in it, I guess I also kind of thought it would taste like some combination of either 
like grape juice and be like very sweet and grapey or like tomato juice like sacramental wine sort is that of what you're yeah thinking of? and and well because the only thing i'd ever had that i even considered close to wine was the grape juice that came with communion at ba- southern baptist church right and so then i thought or maybe it would be like really hearty like a tomato juice where it would be like kind of savory yeah savory and i took the first drink and i detested it and so what i ended up doing was like adding straight up sugar to my wine which is a very elizabethan tactic by the way (laughs) um because i wasn't gonna what not drink it it had cork and sugar in it and and now me 14 years later is very disappointed in 20 year old travis Mm. so that was largely the case Really, they had to make they had to drink it and they had to make it drinkable um, until the Renaissance. And that is when people of a certain social class began to appreciate the kind of subtleties that's available in an unadulterated wine. Um, But it still was very hard to come by the the good tasting wine because it was difficult to keep. Um, wine was often stored in clay jars or in barrels, a lot like uh, like whiskey or grain alcohols or beer even. Um, but casks, casks. Uh, but unlike those, where a lot of the, the sometimes the barrel can um, can help the taste. A lot of these wines were not helped by the taste of the barrels. In fact, uh, the barrels were porous enough that they allowed oxidation to take place to the wine. Which Which, then, vinegar. Well, up to a certain point, oxidation is good. You want a little bit of that. That's why they tell you to let a red wine breathe Mm -hmm. um, and why they suggest that you swirl a glass of wine. But that's like right before you drink it. That's not like... Sit. Here's an experiment you, you can do at sit. home. Open a bottle of red wine and let it sit on your counter for a couple weeks. Then come back. <laughs> enjoy. Don't you won't enjoy it. You won't enjoy. It's not it. very good. Um, and even though the alcohol is is disinfected, the water sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean that like mold can't grow. Well, that's the thing. It's like yeah. So I've never made wine, but I have made my own beer. And like you boil the water. Mm-hmm. And like wash everything, sterilize everything, right? So you have a sterile environment. But then we, and that's to protect the yeast. But then when you start adding food solids into anything, it is inherently no longer a sterile environment. Um, so especially in the wrong conditions, uh, you know, if it gets warm enough and that kind of stuff, yeah, you get gross in there. Um. So then what really made wine what it is today is the enlightenment in the 18th century um so there were not only were there um advancements in the actual growing of grapes uh there were advancements in wine production and wine storage storage namely the glass bottle Mm, mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. um and also Wine as a consumer product had to change because at that point in history, water was becoming safer. We understood a little bit more about how to clean it and how to drink it and how to keep your drinkable water separate from your wastewater. Um, So the wine industry had to make it taste better so that people would actually want to drink it. That is usually how that works. 
oh, we can't put cocaine in our Coca-Cola anymore. Need to make it taste better, I guess. Right. Um, so then by the 19th and early 20th century, um, you could really divide your wine into two groups. So the the Vin Fin, which was the fine wine. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say like the end of wine. Well, the I mean, I guess that's kind of like the end of the scale. The right? done the wine. I got it. Yeah. And uh, Vin Ordinaire. So cheap and plentiful, but usually not very Your good. box wines. Your big old jugs, your two buck chuck, as they say. Um, there were your some Boone's setbacks farm. also at this Boone's Farm. Is Boone's Ooh. Farm wine, or is yes. it more like a wine cooler? Well, it's is tech- wine cooler than Finn or than ordinary? <laughs> Where's that fall? Than ordinary is I bottle. Think. Mm, I think bottles and James might be over here at Van Finn. You know, oh, it's a fine wine. It tastes of. Mm, Mango, pina colada, and electric blue. Um, not to say that this time in wine's history wasn't also kind of riddled with struggle. Um, in the late 19th century, the European vineyards were just, just destroyed by disease. Um, a, I, th- I think it was, I think it's from America. There was some kind of vine rot. Well, that was introduced into the European wines and vines, and it, it really well, destroyed I, I, them. And I might be telling tales out of school. I might be talking out of my ear, but I'm pretty sure that the reason we see that wine is, uh, or sorry, that uh, uh, grapevine wine grapes are so susceptible to that is so often you're trying to cultivate from a specific. Like, you take a cutting of one vine to grow a new vine. And so what you Mm -hmm. end up with is a very homogeneous kind of, like, um, DNA strand. You know, there's not a lot of branching off. Mm -hmm. And so you end up with this uh, very narrow gene pool. And so very rarely is it like, well, this vine was affected, but this one wasn't. Yeah, they're kind of all taken. Right. If it affects one, they're pretty much all so similar to each other that it'll wipe out a whole crop. Right. So I think I might be making that up. That is my understanding as well. Um, also, the world wars and uh, then followed by economic depression. Um, and then uh, as prohibition was taking hold, especially in the United States, um, cocktails and other spirits were more in fashion than wine. It just it, it's not that it wasn't available. It's just that people really weren't drinking it well especially if you think about the the length of time it takes to make i mean i think it's a lot harder to distill but it's also a lot faster you know so like when you at least when you make beer it's like okay make the beer uh, in a home brewing situation to me Mm -hmm. it's like make the beer and then you wait like eight weeks to drink it whereas if you know distilling you risk it all blowing up and you know it's a lot more complicated to do but you can make hooch a lot faster that way. I've never distilled. Maybe I should. Get, maybe I should start making hooch. Can I make backyard hooch? I don't think so. I think that's illegal. What if I got special? Dis, dis special. It's not disposition, is it? Dispensation. Sure, to make backyard hooch, and then I just bury it. I never drink it. Uh, but why? <laughs> I just you... like to do new things. <laughs> All right. So then. 
table wines, as they are known now, had their real revival, especially in the United States, in the 1960s. Um, because of all those other things I talked about, uh -huh. it just wasn't very popular with the masses. It's always been popular with, uh, like, rulers, fashionable rulers, um, and the social elite had yeah. a fondness for wine in and out of things. I also bet, and once again, I might be uh, extrapolating too much or hypothesis, but what I know about, like, the late 50s into the 60s and 70s is the middle class really looking to elevate themselves and appear um, socially, a lot more social climbing. And two things, I bet that, you know, having cocktails is fine, but it probably was a lot, at least socially appearing, classier. You know, like, the amount of... You can get drunk on liquor really quick. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you go to a party to get drunk on liquor, and that's, like, a fun friend party. I could see where, like, if you're hanging out and you really want to stay on your game but still drink socially but in a business scenario that you would lean more heavily towards wine. I bet that maybe had an influence on it or just wanting to appear classier. I don't maybe. know. Just my guess. Maybe. Um, but nowadays, wine, especially Californian wine, is very popular in the United States. Um, I think that... It was also in the 60s, maybe 70s, mid-70s, where there was a um, a taste test in Paris pitting Californian wines against French wines, and it was a pretty mixed bag. A lot of the the sommeliers and, uh, and people who know wine weren't really able to tell the difference between some. So that vintners? was... Vint vintners? 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 I think it's Ventners, but that also might be a race from a fantasy game I've played before. No, that's Ventish. I think it's Ventners. Great. Oh, God. Why do I keep trying to prove? I'm looking at nothing. I have no <laughs> notes. I don't have research. Why do I keep opening my mouth to try to act like I know things? <sighs> okay. So, wine. Are we going to talk about, like, the different varieties and... Um, well... There's some tasting terminology I think that we should use. Uh, there's well, a lot of different I'm varieties stop of wine. You. Before we get into the actual tasting stuff, okay. we've done the history. Let's do our thank you notes, and okay. then we'll come back and we'll talk about the actual like process of the wine tasting. Great. We'd like to send a thank you note out to Rent the Runway, which is a, one of our sponsors this week. Do you ever find yourself, you want to land a plane, and you're like, oh, I don't know, I just realized I don't have anywhere to land my plane. Well, good news, now you can <laughs> rent the runway. Not that kind of runway. We're talking about fashion. Why would you land on a jacket? <laughs> make it... Oh, I see. Actually, sometimes it's hard for me to land on an outfit for the day. Oh! This is why my wife is uh, more clever than me, funnier than me, just all around better than me. But I have often, thinking of maybe even, not even a special occasion, but some occasion, other than, you know, playing with my baby on the floor, looked at my closet and thought, ugh, I just don't have anything to wear. Right. I have run into that, too, where, like, there's something in your mind where it's like, there's something about this event that is special, but I'm looking at my closet and I just don't see it there and I don't have time to go out and like do a bunch of shopping and go from store to store and hope I just stumble upon the right shirt. The good news is 
rent the Feels runway. Weird to talk about that when I, like my only concern is like what shirt am I going to wear? That's as far as my concern. Oh, what shirt? Because I'm going to wear a t-shirt underneath. Rent the runway is introducing their unlimited membership, uh, where you can get access unlimited access to a constantly rotating dream closet full of designer styles that you can keep as long as you want and swap anytime. So not just for special occasions, it's for any occasion. You can rent styles from over 450 top designer brands. So not just fancy wear, not just cocktail wear, business attire. Uh, You can rent, I've looked through and there's really casual items, jeans that you can rent. Now, let me ask you this. What if I rent a thing and I wear it and I'm like, oh, this is my favorite shirt, my favorite jeans, my favorite jacket. I hate that I have to get it back. If you fall in love with something, you can buy it at your discount and keep it forever. (gasps) Whoa! Um, The renting is not only cheaper than buying, it's faster and easier too because they include free shipping and dry cleaning on every piece. Amazing. So... How do we take advantage of this amazing offer? You can go to renttherunway.com or download the app to get 25% off your first month's unlimited membership with your promo code SCHMANNERS at the checkout. So go once again. That's renttherunway.com and you can get your 25% off your first month membership with your promo code SCHMANNERS. Renttherunway.com, promo code Schmanners. S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. If you include a C in there, you're not going to get a discount. (laughs) Uh, We also want to tell you about Texture. The Texture app gives you unlimited access to over 200 premium magazines. Texture has leading titles like Time, The Atlantic, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, and Wired. And right now, you can try Texture for free. It's an amazing deal. 200 magazines, and you can try it for free. Just imagine having your favorite magazine and their back issues anytime, anywhere. It's That's incredible. And if you want to start your Texture free trial, go to texture.com. That's T-E-X-T-U-R-E dot com slash schmanners, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. And if you choose to continue, podcast listeners will get Texture for just $9.99 a month. That's over 30% off their listed price. Hey, so a continuing deal. Yeah, that's and that's, great. I'm doing some math here. So that's ten dollars a month, two hundred premium magazines. So that's two cents. Yeah, two cents a magazine. It's an incredible wow. deal. There are also great gift options available for the holiday season. So if you know someone who loves magazines and loves reading but never has the time to stop and buy them, texture.com/schmanners, and you can start your free trial today. That's texture.com/schmanners. Texture.com. Slash Schmanners. Hi, everybody. I'm your oldest brother, Justin McElroy. I'm your middlest brother, Travis McElroy. And I'm your sweet baby brother, Griffin McElroy. Me and 3,000 of your closest friends just found your next podcast obsession. Cereal! Okay, but like the second best podcast. Oh, f- just listen to my brother, my brother, and me on maximumfun.org. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. What's up? I'm James, the co-host of Minority Corner. And look at that! I'm Aneke, the other co-host of Minority Corner. Girl, guess what? What? We just hit our 100th episode! What? 
And what do you think is gonna be in store for the next 100? Probably some more feuds with Jennifer Hudson. And I'm telling you, I'm We'll probably do more investigative reporting too, like we did with the Kodak and their racist film. Not to mention exposing the truth, like how we did with the ugly history of the Texas Rangers. But we always lighten the mood with a splash of pop culture. Olivia Pope's new wig, have you seen that? It's popping. Just like your lip gloss. And Janet Jackson. And you know we like to put our nerd glasses on and talk about things like Marvel. It's true. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't speak about DC. (laughs) But you just did. Why? All from a perspective that's black, queer, and ladylike. So come on over and learn, laugh, and play, and join the corner. It's a lot of fun. I'm having fun right now. (laughs) (laughs) Minority Corner. Okay, so when you taste wine, the most important thing is to do it with your mouth. <laughs> I know at first you're going to think, maybe I pour it in my ear. Do I put it in my eyeballs? Don't do either of those things. It will end badly for you. Use your mouth. That's the most important thing. After that, here's some terminology you might run, run across, okay? Acidity. All right, so that is the tartness or the crispiness, crispness, crispness. Crispness, not crispiness. <laughs> it's not its crunch. Please don't try the wine and talk about its crunch. Or do. I I, I think that that would be fine. If you're talking about, like, mm, I love the crunch on this one. I'm like, what? What do they know that I don't? This That's is- the truth, because nobody knows anything about tasting wine. So you can say whatever. It's highly subjective. It really is. Um, this is often referred to as a citrus note right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have acidity in your wine, it can be called flat or flabby. Okay. Um, balanced is another word that people throw around a lot. So it's about all of the components, which are alcohol, acidity, sugar, and tannin, if they're working all together and one doesn't stick out more than the other. Uh, body is the impression of weight on your palate. Um, so people usually will say it's light or uh, it's full-bodied, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about this earlier, breathe, which is the process of letting a wine open up, kind of, you know, be exposed to the air. Corked, which is what you were talking about your wine in college being. It's uh, when it's con- been contaminated with cork taint. Uh, it can sometimes smell damp or and that soggy does not be or cork in it. Sometimes, right. like you can just say a wine is corked. Yes, and it just means like it. It something about the cork has allowed moisture in or air or what? Sometimes, yeah. Um, it can be that, or it can be uh, maybe the cork has sat in the wine for a long time. If you store your water, if you store your wine improperly, um, with the corks submerged in the wine. It can make it taste kind of cardboardy. Hmm. Um, mouth feel is another thing. So you talk about how it can be kind of silky or smooth or or maybe, I wouldn't say people say grainy, but they would say maybe rough or chewy. Uh, nose is pretty obvious. It's the aroma of the wine. And then tannin. Um which is a substance that comes from the grape seeds and skins. It can taste kind of astringent or even chalky. And this is one of the things that adds to that body we were talking about, the kind of mouthfeel of the wine. Um, so after that, 
there's there's really only one or two things that I found that um a lot of tasters kind of uh kind of agree on, right? Well, because before, like I said, it's highly subjective. Before you get into like a wine tasting, you would go to a wine like bar or vineyard for. Mm-hmm. Give a little insight here. I have in my travels um, been taken to some fancy places, and I order a thing, and they pour a little bit of wine. Right, the the person, the server person, will pour a little bit of wine in a glass, and then hand it to me and stand there. Mm-hmm. Right, and if you've never been in that situation, you can suddenly feel all this pressure. Like, hmm, here's all you do. You take a sip of that wine and you go, mm, yes, yes. And they go, oh, very good. And then they pour the rest of your glass and they leave the table. They're not they're not waiting for you to tell them anything about the wine except that you accept that. Correct. Because that, that what they're looking for is if you taste it and you're like, I do not like this, mm-hmm. right? They want to know right then rather than when you have drank half the bottle or something along those lines. My imagination is that it's more of a formality than anything else because I don't know if you said like, mm, no, you know what? Never mind. I don't think that they would just take the bottle away, but maybe they would. But anyways, they're not looking for you to like give a critique of the wine. It's just to say like, yes, this will do. Thank you very much. That's all. Exactly. Um, if you really, really don't like it, uh, which I think would be highly improbable, um, they 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 will offer you something else but i think that this is kind of a throwback to the idea of um uh, a wine going bad maybe in the bottle um and they want to make sure that it's not a bad bottle it's not it's, a bad it's bottle it's not whether or not you like the wine and this is a, this is just good adulting 101 if you're out to dinner and you're like oh i want to feel real fancy don't order it's okay to order a brand of wine you've never heard of, but don't order a type of wine you've never had. Don't surprise yourself <laughs> with like a $70 bottle because you want to show off to somebody. Order something you know or don't, but like it would be a real bummer to order like a $100 bottle of wine to like impress somebody and, and you don't like, like it. it. Yeah. Um. So like if there's a type of wine you know you like, do that. But the other thing is, a $150 wine is not inherently better than a $15 bottle of wine. Exactly. Because, like I keep saying, a lot about wine is highly subjective. Um, different people have different tastes, have different things that they want to taste in the wine. Some people like their wine fairly dry, meaning that it is not sweet. It kind of leaves. Except for, I did want to bring this up. If you're looking at sparkling wine, okay, yeah, this can this can be confusing for early sparkling wine. So I love champagne is my favorite kind of wine, and I say champagne, but I actually mean sparkling because champagne only comes from Champagne Region of France. But if you say <laughs> champagne, everybody knows what you're talking about. Don't be that person. But in sparkling wine, a dry wine, a dry sparkling is actually sweeter than so it goes brute. I probably brute nature, but brute nature, extra brute. So this is going uh, less sweet to sweeter. Brute nature, extra brute, brute, extra dry, dry, demi-sec, and then do. And so if you see a dry sparkling, it's actually on the sweeter end, pretty yes. far on the sweeter end than a brute or an extra brute. Um, so if you like a sweet wine, you want a dry or extra dry. Correct. Yeah. But in other wines, this may indicate 
the dryness of your palate. Mm -hmm. It may indicate the dryness of the sweetness, things like that. So it, it really is very subjective. And there are also certain types of wine for certain times. So like port. You really wouldn't have port with your main. It's more of a dessert wine. Because it is generally sweet, like yeah. dessert. And so like, this is the one thing I will say. I do agree, as I've said, that there is no such thing. Like a more expensive wine is not inherently better. That said, there is something to wine pairings of like red wine goes better with red meat. White wine goes better with fish and chicken, I believe. And like chicken can really go either way. I think it really depends on how it's prepared. But like that kind of thing and like certain wines being better that I I do agree with. You know, there's just but I, I feel the same way with beer. You know, like there's certain I wouldn't want to have like a porter with like a hot dog. You know what I mean? Like there are just certain things that I don't that I think clash. And so a lot of places you will see there's a uh, wine bar near us that we like to go to. And next to every um, next to every dish on the menu, they have a suggestion of a wine that would go well with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also something you can ask your server or someone about. Um, especially if they know the information, no one, there's nothing people who know about wine love more than to talk about wine. So you don't have to impress anybody. Ask questions. It's always how you learn things. The more you don't know. (laughs) So there are a lot of things that, uh, a lot of procedure that goes with a wine tasting. But here is the, the generalities that I found over and over and over again. It is okay to swallow the wine that you're tasting, but you don't have to. Um, Spit buckets or spittoons, they are often called, are usually provided. You can taste the wine and you can spit it out. I recommend you spit into a second cup and then pour that wine into the spittoon. Um, Or you can take just a sip of your wine and pour out the rest of the glass. Nobody's going to be offended. You don't have to drink the whole thing, even if you really like it. If you're doing a lot of tasting and you want to make sure that you're up to the up to the length of your tasting, you can spit it out. You can pour out the wine and nobody's going to get upset. Especially or, since very rarely do you find a vineyard right next door to your house in walking distance. So if exactly. you had to drive to that vineyard, taste responsibly. Or... If you're going to spend a leisurely afternoon at a single vineyard or a single wine tasting, go ahead and drink your wine. That's just fine. Um, the next thing that universally across the board is you should enjoy the wine that you're drinking in a kind of um, in a scientific way, right? So don't just stand there and drink and be like, mm, I really like this or mm, I don't like this. Especially keeping in mind that a lot of the reasons that vineyards do wine tasting is in the hopes that you will say, I like this. I would like to buy two bottles to take home with me. Right. So you should, when you take the wine, um, you should look at it. You should notice how it looks. You should... um, Look at its legs or fingers (laughs) where you swirl it in the glass and then as it runs down the... I've heard before, and this might be apocryphal, but I've heard that when you swirl it, and like the speed or thickness of like as it runs down the inside of the glass lets you know the alcohol content. That's correct. Yes. Nice. The more fingers 
that stick to the glass or even or legs, like you said, they're called the higher the alcohol content usually is. Yeah, I knew something. Um, so then once you've looked at it and swirled it, which helps you look at it, you should smell it because um, that's part of the human like mechanism for tasting. As some of the particles from your swirling and smelling go up your nose, it informs the taste inside your mouth. Um, and then finally, you should taste it. But don't just drink it down, right? You should kind of roll it around in your mouth. You should, there are even places that talk about how you should kind of suck in a little bit of air with it um, to kind of aspirate through the wine. Don't aspirate that. Like, no, don't. I think that means when you throw up and you choke a little bit. Don't do that no, part. No, no, no. No. Don't, don't, no, but suck in a little bit of air to aerate it. How's that? That's better. And I, I want to take this moment to say that on this show, when we're talking about this, what we're saying is, if you're looking to, like, execute a flawless landing, so to speak, at this wine tasting, this is how you do it. If you just want to go with friends and taste some wine in a vineyard and you don't want to worry about, like, rolling it around your tongue or whatever, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Have fun. But if you're like, I want to pretend like I'm an expert, this is how you do it. Um. So then after you've done that, you should think about, you should, like, close your mouth together and kind of taste your mouth afterwards, the aftertaste. And then if you're super serious about this, you can even write down your impressions. Um, a lot of the vineyard websites I looked at really encourage people to take notes, um, especially because a lot of people do kind of a run of wine tastings. And after two or three, they really might start to blend together. So if you write down right then what your impressions are, you're more likely to come back to a wine that you actually like and purchase that wine. Excellent. Well, Teresa, before we wrap up, I have a question for you. What's your favorite kind of wine? You know, I'm more of kind of an occasion um, mm. like wines. So what I really like at the end of a night to kind of like wind down. Uh, uh wind down. Okay. Um, I like a sparkling. It feels kind of like like a a nice dessert. Almost. Oh, I was going to say a victory lap. A victory lap. Um, but with dinner, I usually choose white wine. Um, and if I'm going to kind of, if this is a, an all day kind of drinking journey. Like Thanksgiving. Like Thanksgiving. I'll usually choose a red because I don't drink those as fast. I tend to kind of like just nurse one glass of red wine because it feels fuller to me. Yes. It's, but what kind of white? What kind of red? Oh, yes. I see. Um, I'm going to say more of the ones that I don't like. Okay. Because I enjoy wine. Um, I don't like Pinot Grigio. Uh-huh. Which is a white wine. I don't, I don't either. Um, because I have the impression when I smell it that it smells like dirty sweat socks. And apparently that's not uncommon. Right. Like that there are people who don't like Pinot Grigio for that reason. So it's not, I don't think it's just you. I don't care for Riesling. I think it's too sweet. Okay. Um, okay. I used to before I knew anything about wine. Now I like a nice dry Chardonnay. I prefer sparkling if I'm going to drink white. And for red, my favorite red is an old vine zen. Um, for red, I also enjoy uh, a Cab Zinfandel, which is nice. Um, I'm actually 
not a super big fan of Malbecs, mm-hmm. which tend to be kind of peppery. Did you know that after the movie Sideways, Merlot took a noticeable drop in sales? Oh, yeah, because that, that movie's all about Pinot Noir. Well, he has a line where he says, I'm not going to drink any expletive deleted Merlot. And like it was just such a like... It's not like it's not like Sideways was like a super smash hit summer blockbuster or whatever, but I think that that line was so quotable mm. that like people would then be like looking at wine and just naturally veer away from Merlot because they knew that line. Yeah. Um. So that's gonna do it for us. Real quick, we're gonna pause. We're gonna pause so that we can come up with a topic for next week. Okay, we're back from our short break. Uh, next week we're gonna talk about Christmas pudding. So if you have questions about Christmas pudding, you can tweet at us, at SchmannersCast. Um, go on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe. Tell a friend. Go check out all the other amazing shows on MaximumFun.org. There's a couple new ones. Story Break is brand new. Uh, Switchblade Sisters is brand new. So if you haven't checked those out, go check those. Uh, coming up in February, so close. We're going to be uh, on the Joko Cruise. You can go to jococruise.com, J-O-C-O, cruise.com, and come see me and Teresa, and BB will probably be walking around there somewhere, too, and our dad (laughs) will be there. Um, We're going to be at PodCon um, here in just like a week and a half, December 9th and 10th in Seattle. Go to podcon.com. We're also doing candle nights. And you know, if you... you Go to a McElroy show. Odds are good that you might be treated to something that isn't uh, on the bill. Yeah, that's usually how that works out. <laughs> um, we're going to be doing a candle night show in Huntington, December 22nd. Um, tickets for that are going to go on sale soon. So pay attention to McElroyShows.com where all the other McElroy shows can be found. Um, and also the Schmanners Twitter and the MBAM, MBMBAM Twitter. And we'll put that up there. Uh, let's see. What else, Teresa? As always, thank you to Brent Bruntelfloss Black for our theme music, which is available. So catchy as a, a ringtone where those are sold. Thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art. Um, thank you to Keely Weiss Photography for our Facebook banner for the Schmanners Fanners group, which is a fan run group uh, where you can join and you can talk to other people and kind of crowdsource your schmanners. Uh, And that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to schmanners. Manners, schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.